You have the American dream. You own your own business. But owning a business turns out to be more than you thought. It's a pain in the neck. You're not getting where you want to go. You're not getting what you want to get. And you're working 97 hours a week. We're here to help you fix that. This is the Small Business Celebration Podcast. I am your host, Michael Roberts, and on this podcast, you can learn something that you can use today to grow a strong and profitable business. Before we begin our interview with this week's successful small business owner, I want to take a moment and thank you the listener, for helping Small Business Celebration reach a significant milestone. If you're listening to this podcast for the first time, you're about to hear of an example of why 1,500-plus small business owners connect with Small Business Celebration on a weekly basis. When you consider Kern County has just over 10,000 small businesses, 1,500-plus weekly connections is a big deal. We thank the tremendous content that our visionary guests continue to provide this podcast, our sponsors, and you, Visioner Nation, who have subscribed to this podcast, internalize our guests' valuable insight, and because of it, are growing a strong and profitable business. And we thank you. Our guest today is Dan Klingenberger, uh, who is an equity partner in LeBeau Thielen LLP. And welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Tell us a little bit about uh, LeBeau and Thielen and, and your involvement. Uh, yes. Uh, well, LeBeau Thielen is a uh, full practice law firm, is mm-hmm. what we like to refer to us ourselves as. And uh, that means that we have many attorneys who specialize in different areas, all designed really to help businesses and business owners. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so virtually anything that a business would need from a legal perspective, uh, we have attorneys who can assist with that. So, for example, myself, I'm an employment law attorney, and so I help uh, business owners with issues involving their employees, kind of HR-related matters. Uh, We have uh, attorneys who help with business formation and helping business owners decide how to structure their business, uh, how to design it, how to put the paperwork in place to uh, have a legally formed business. Uh, Also, uh, that overlaps into attorneys who help uh, business owners and individuals with estate planning um, and probate issues as well. Uh, so we do all those kinds of things. Plus, we, um, if, in, in the worst case scenario, uh, if a uh, business gets sued, uh, then we have a very strong group of attorneys here who specialize in litigation and defending uh, employers or helping businesses with litigation-related matters. Explain to us how your involvement here in the practice is. I could be considered an owner. We we use the term uh, equity partner, equity shareholder, uh, which means that I have an ownership interest in the the firm. Um, So, you know, pretty much the same terminology, same idea. Uh, And so, you know, I have a stake in the financial success of the business and uh, work with other partners to, you know, lead this firm uh, in the uh, direction it's going, which is to, again, you know, assist uh, businesses in any way that we can. I want to take a moment, <clears throat> excuse me, and talk a little bit about wrongful termination because this is an area that a lot of small business owners don't really understand. They think they do, but in a brief, brief overview, tell us the, the ground rules for what constitutes a wrongful termination that is acceptable by law uh, that an employer can do to an employee should the employee not be performing up to standard. Yes, I think the employer does have a lot of uh, control and uh, uh, authority and responsibility <clears throat> with respect to 
uh, dealing with uh, employees who, who they have challenges with. So uh, if an employee is not performing uh, up to the standards that the employer has set, uh, the employer can, one, communicate those expectations to the employee. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can document that. They should document that, uh, making sure that they're, they've clearly explained you know, what the expectation is. If the employee doesn't, you know, meet those those standards, and, and especially after, you know, attempting to work with that employee, then uh, an employer can terminate the employee uh, and um, can take the appropriate steps to do that. Uh, that would include, you know, this, this paper trail, hopefully, that you have in, in most circumstances, uh, but also um, making sure that you're uh, thinking through the process of, of how to terminate. And so, what is that process of termination? So w- one thing you we need to step back and look at is uh, when you're contemplating terminating an employee is you're, you're thinking to yourself as a business owner, I'm not happy with the situation, whatever that might be. They're not coming to work on time. They're not doing the job I'm, I'm expecting them to do. Uh, other things could be uh, arising. And so uh, you're stepping back to say, okay, I think we need to part ways. But before you make that decision, you have to to think to yourself, is there anything that puts this employee in any type of protected status where I need to be a little extra careful before I make that final decision to terminate? So for example, did that employee the week before complain about a safety issue, that the Mm. brakes on their truck weren't working? Uh, Did that employee complain about unlawful harassment three months ago? Uh, Did that employee file a worker's compensation claim? Uh, Did that employee do something that would put them in a position where they're protected by what we would call a public policy reason? If that's the case, then the employer does need to be a little extra careful in approaching this termination so they don't put themselves in a position where that uh, employee could claim that the real reason uh, they were let go was this protected status that they were in. If you do have a question about what the different statutes of protected status are, where would a small business owner find out about those? That's a great question, it, and that's one of the challenges that, that employers in, in California and across the country, for that matter, have is that it is difficult to find a kind of a single resource or place you can go to to educate yourself about uh, all these different you know, traps for the unwary that business owners have to contend with. Uh, I would say that um, one way to, to educate yourself is to look for educational opportunities. So for, we have, for example, the local Greater Bakersfield Chamber of Commerce and, and other chambers who put on seminars and, and conferences and things like that for small business owners to uh, in, educate them and inform them about some of these risks. Uh, the um, California Chamber of Commerce also has a lot of resources, and so if you're a member of that organization, they have uh, a wealth of information that's available on their website. Um, and then, you know, otherwise the Internet, uh, you know, could be a resource when you look at, you know, what is the, the, the Division of Labor Standards Enforcement that we sometimes call the Labor Commissioner, uh, what, what information do they have on their website, the Department of Fair Employment and Housing. Uh, so there, there's opportunities like that as well. 
Imagine having fun learning comprehensive firearms training indoors on Kern County's largest interactive firearms virtual simulator. Triple Threat Solutions offers affordable, comprehensive firearms training that is the same caliber for you and your employees as they train law enforcement officers. Call Roosevelt Scott with Triple Threat Solutions today at 661-374-1180 and sign up for a private session in his state-of-the-art laser virtual shooting range for only $45. For one hour, you and three of your employees can use his state-of-the-art indoor air-conditioned laser virtual shooting range for only $45. Call Triple Threat Solutions today at 661-374-1180 or go to triplethreatsolutions.net. That's Triple Threat Solutions at 661-374-1180 or go to triplethreatsolutions.net. We're here with Dan Klingenberger with uh, LeBeau Feeling, and I want to take a step back for a moment because you're very well known here in the business community, and part of that is because of your gift of approachability. And let's take a step back because this is not a, a usual trait for for a lot of people, especially in the, the world of, of law. And I wanted to find out from you, where does this, this skill come from? Or is this something that's learned, or is this something that you seem to have already had from, from day one? Well, um, I don't know uh, exactly where it comes from. I think um, I've always been a pretty good listener, uh, you know, in my life, and I um, try and bring that... Um, skills, so to speak, you know, to the work I do as an attorney um, when I'm working with clients on uh, issues involving employees. Mm-hmm. Many times it's it's something of an emotional issue because work is where we spend a lot of our time and uh, employers invest a lot of time and money into their employees. And so when they're looking at a, a challenging decision with respect to that particular employee, then um, it can be difficult for them to sort of separate their personal thoughts from the business side of things. So uh, I hope that through listening to them and sorting through those issues with them, I can um, ultimately get to the point where we can look at it objectively and uh, find a way uh, through the through the issue that uh, makes sense both from a personal and a legal perspective. What are some of the things that you do to help with making yourself, yourself more approachable to clients so that when they come in, they, they feel comfortable with you so, they can, they, so that you can help them with their business? When I'm listening to a client uh, to talk about a particular issue, uh, I will often let them you know, explain in detail what their concerns are hmm. because... I think that's important for me to understand where they're coming from uh, because a lot of times there are uh, issues at play that are separate and apart from the, the technical legal point that we're talking about uh, because it does overlap into, um, for example, how that employee interrelates with other employees or uh, if they have a particular issue with an employee and that employee is, is no longer going to be available, how are they going to get that work done? So there's a lot of arms and legs oftentimes to these issues. So uh, I try and let the client, you know, give me a great explanation, thorough explanation of what their concerns are. And then we, we start getting into uh, solving the problem. And that's, I think ultimately what I do for a living is I solve other people's problems. Uh, That's why they come to me for advice and to uh, be able to walk through those issues and uh, come up with a solution 
uh, in an area of a, the law, you know, that is employment law, where there's a lot of gray, unfortunately, mm-hmm. and there aren't always clear answers, but we, we do the best we can. When you're talking with a client and you're listening, which sounds like to be a very key part, point of what it is that you do, what are some of the things that you're listening for or trying to dig deeper into finding the root problem or the, the root reason that your client is talking to you in the first place? I ask for a lot of detail. You know, Once I hear the initial explanation from the client, then uh, I'll devote quite a bit of time to uh, diving deeper into the circumstances, the background, uh, perhaps look at the personnel file, um, find out if it's a particular issue that they're talking about where let's say, for example, uh, it's a performance issue, then I might be asking uh, questions about, well, are there any witnesses to that? Do you, you know, what other evidence do you have to support this issue? Mm-hmm. Maybe they're talking to me about, because the employee complained about uh, the way they're being treated at work, perhaps a sexual harassment claim, for example. So then we need to you know, really explore uh, all the circumstances around that event, you know, in, in not just what that employee said. So I think it's a matter of, of getting into the details and looking at the entire picture. And it sounds to me, as you go through and you're trying to get the whole picture, one of the questions that will invariably come up is what kind of paper trail or what kind of standard the employer has already put together or the business owner has already put together. And very often we refer to this as the business handbook or the business policy. How does a business owner go about putting together something like that? There are different resources uh, out there on the, in the marketplace for, for putting together an employee handbook. Um, one of them is, again, the uh, California Chamber of Commerce has a, uh, a module that uh, employers can use uh, to sign up for, pay for it, you know, work through the different questions that the chamber presents to them and ultimately end up with a, a finished product. Uh, so that's one tool that's out there. Uh, some insurance companies, either your workers' compensation carrier or uh, general liability carrier, sometimes your what they call the EPLI carrier that's specialized insurance for employment matters, uh, they have resources where they can put together handbooks. Some payroll companies as well uh, offer a employee handbook product. Um, our firm does a lot of employee handbooks. We, mm. we, we frequently prepare handbooks for our clients and uh, try and tailor it to the specific needs of, of that particular business. Uh, but uh, I agree. In conversations about issues in, in the workplace, a lot of times that employee handbook is an important uh, starting place. And I, I do believe that in the employee handbook is, is a very important piece of the, the equation for uh, large and small business owners to have in place. Why is that? Because it becomes sort of the the guidance, the guidelines for many things you do from a human resources perspective. Mm. Uh, and so uh, it becomes a resource that not only the employer can look at, but the employees can look at uh, to provide guidance on sort of what that company's um, expectations are uh, on a lot of different matters. It's also important because in California, there are some specific um, uh, policies that employers are required to communicate to their employee. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the employee handbook really becomes the most efficient tool and vehicle to do that. Um, so, for example, employers, all employers in California, 
should have a policy uh, regarding unlawful harassment and discrimination. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you can partially comply with that obligation by putting up the big laminated poster that most employers have, uh, but really your policy needs to be more specific and specialized on that point to tell employees if they have a complaint, if they have a concern, for example, about harassment or discrimination, who do they go to in the organization? Who do they report that to? Uh, And then your policy should create a a mechanism as to how those complaints are going to be handled um, so that you can nip those problems in the bud. So that's one example of, you know, the type of of, uh, policy that really should be included in an employee handbook. Uh, Another is that um, uh, these days there's so much litigation uh, both in court as well as at the labor commissioner about wage and hour compliance and and our employers... uh, providing employees meal and rest periods in accordance with the law. So having a a good, strong meal and rest period policy incorporated in your employee handbook uh, can be a great starting point if you're having to defend that type of claim. So those are a couple of examples, but there are several different policies that employers are required to communicate. So that handbook is a nice uh, way to do it. If you're an employer or a business owner that is an employer of one, and at what point do you need to put to start putting together some kind of employee handbook? I've always had the view that um, whether you're a large employer or a small employer, even down to the one employee uh, business uh, or you know one to ten, you know uh, whatever we might define as a, a small employer, um, I still think the employee handbook is is uh, an important. Um, piece of the equation, it's important because it not only communicates the policies that I already talked about to employees, but it also sort of forces the business owner to think through those issues. Uh, when you are a small business and you're starting your business uh, from scratch, for example, there are a lot of things that you don't even know what to ask about. It's sort of like we don't know what we don't know, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, w- going through the process of creating the employee handbook it's very educational, you know, for the employer to even realize, oh, I didn't know that was an issue. I didn't know that these are things that I should be concerned about. Oh, it is good to communicate that to uh, the employee. This is a nice, you know, standards of conduct, you know, policy to include in the employee handbook. So uh, it's just a, a good process for businesses to go through to educate themselves and to almost go through a self-audit, you know, of their HR practices uh, by going through the, um, the the process of creating that that handbook, so it sounds like and and clarify if you will that once the business plan is created, the second plan is the employee handbook. I agree. I think that's a a great <laughs> second step in as you're forming your business and and um, in trying to build it, you know, to whatever level you're you're striving for. Right, right. So as you're scaling your business, especially, and you're putting in the ideas of how you're going to scale your business past yourself and your first and second employee, you definitely need to put this business handbook or your employee handbook together so that you can help formulate how your business is going to scale, correct? I agree. Absolutely. As a small business owner, you are a visioneer, a pioneer with vision. But sometimes it's hard to see the forest through the trees. You know where you want to go, you know what you want to do and have, but you need a confidential second set of eyes to help you get there. 
Small Business Celebration can be those eyes. Go to smallbusinesscelebration.com and schedule a listening session. See the forest through the trees. Realize your vision. Go to smallbusinesscelebration.com and schedule a listening session today. We're here with Dan Klingenberger of LeBeau Thielen, and I wanted to take a moment, and we talk a lot about with other business owners about their community involvement, and you're currently the president of the Current Literacy Council. Tell us, why did you get involved with the Current Literacy Council? I, I think that literacy is such an important subject. In, in Kern County, we have some low literacy rates ac- across the county. I... I guess as an attorney, you know, and being in a profession that I read uh, constantly, uh, I, I certainly appreciate the value of that and can't really imagine um, being successful in life without having that skill. And mm-hmm. so uh, to be able to give back to an organization that um, is helping many people you know, across the Bakersfield and across Kern County improve their literacy skills um, just was very gratifying to me. So I sort of draw into the organization for that reason. What kinds of people are the recipients of the Current Literacy Council? Oh, it's a broad spectrum. Um, the, the council helps um, younger people, younger people who maybe didn't have the advantage of learning to read early in life. Uh, sometimes we're dealing with young parents, for example, who mm. uh, are struggling because they want to read to their children, but they can't. And mm. so uh, in order to just be a uh, what they hope to be a better parent and to pass on that that joy of uh, reading and being read to uh, you know we'll have individuals like that we'll have people who are much later in life you know who um, uh, never really develop strongly that reading skill and, and want to do better at that uh, some are, are pursuing that um, advancing their their skills in reading because they they want to get their GED or to, you know, take that next, next step from an educational perspective. Mm. Um, so uh, we really deal with a broad spectrum of people at different stages in their life. Sometimes it's, um, you know, English as a second language situation where they want to be able to read in English and mm. develop their proficiency that way. So uh, it's just very, you know, uh, neat to see how many people uh, can be touched, you know, with um, delivering this this gift of being able to read. And you're soon going to become the, the president of the Current Literacy Council, correct? Actually, I'm currently president of the Current Literacy Council, yes. Oh, excellent, excellent. And why did you choose to, to become so involved that you've become the president? Well, it's, it's, we have a, a strong uh, board uh, and made up of a lot of committed uh, individuals from a lot of businesses and agencies across Kern County. And, um, you know, I... I guess been on the board long enough that um, uh, Laura asked if I would serve in that capacity, <laughs> so I said I'd be I'd be happy to. So. Very good, very good. And you're also the incoming president of SHRM. Speaking of Laura, and and how did you and why did you get involved with SHRM? Well, and, and SHRM, um, you know, we I'm so used to throwing out the term SHRM that I I know not everybody knows what it means, but it it's the Society for Human Resource Management. So. We have a very uh, large and, and active uh, local chapter here in Bakersfield of, of this uh, SHRM group. And um, it, it primarily consists of human resources professionals uh, mm-hmm. who attend monthly meetings and as well as our, the large symposium we have in October. Um, and so 
uh, it as an employment law attorney, uh, that's a group of people who uh, I am comfortable with and, and, and look forward to assisting. So um, as a board member, uh, we, we want to continue to keep the chapter uh, alive and active. Uh, I have opportunities with the chapter to uh, speak to the group as well, and, and I really appreciate that opportunity to share the knowledge I have with other human resources professionals, hopefully to continue to uh, allow them to advance and uh, allow me to learn from them as to what issues they're dealing with. I've had a couple of different business owners come up and ask me about, they've come up with an idea or a thought and they think that they're the first one to do it. And then they're very uh, surprised when somebody else comes along and has a very similar idea and they think that there's some kind of unfair competition or somebody has stolen their trade secret or their idea. And give us a little bit about a, a background or an idea of where the law works in that particular area. Well, employers, uh, businesses in general, uh, if they have a particular idea that they believe they should protect in some ways, uh, you know, could, for example, be an idea for a product where they could get a patent um, or otherwise, you know, in the intellectual property arena, uh, try and protect that, that particular, uh, whether it's a product or an idea, um, to uh, limit others' ability to use that. But there are some very specific things you have to go through to, you know, gain that level of protection. For most employers, if you have a great idea about how you want to run your business or a service you want to provide, you know, those, those business ideas may or may not be in a category that you can actually, you know, put that kind of protection around it that no one else can ever touch it. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, you know, sometimes... Um, they say that, you know, uh, I guess um, the um, imitation is a... Sincerest form of flattery. Flattery, exactly, right, right thank right. you. Um, and so, you know, maybe the fact that others are, are uh, following your idea, you know, is a, a reflection of how good of an idea it is. But within the organizations, you know, that you have, um, there are still th things that, piece, kinds of information that could be considered trade secret information uh, that an employer can protect... Uh, from others using that information when they leave your organization. Uh, but the law does create some specific definitions about what is a trade secret. Typically, and maybe the most common type of unfair competition is when you have someone who used to work for you, has left you, mm -hmm. and is using uh, trade secret information or other confidential business information uh, with wherever they went to work or, you know, the new business that they formed, for mm. example, when they left you. Uh, and so that's probably the most common type of unfair competition litigation or challenges that companies have. And in those situations, the, the, the company may come to me and say, hey, Dan, you know, this person has left, that's a salesperson or my operations manager, whoever it might be, and I think that they are you know, either stealing my customers or using my business ideas or, uh, you know, t t have, are using important information that uh, they actually physically took from me to compete against me. Uh, and in those situations, you know, I'll, I'll work through with them to analyze, well, you know, is the information that they have, 
even truly protected under the law. It hmm. doesn't meet the definition of a trade secret. And, uh, and what is that law? Well, usually it has to be information that is not you know, easily available to the public, mm. you know, that, you know, someone really has spent time and money uh, internally creating particular and specific business information that someone outside the organization can't easily get. That's maybe a, a kind of a simple o- overriding mm-hmm. definition, mm-hmm. you might say, of, of trade secrets. Uh, and so when you have someone who's left your business, uh, if they're using information that indeed is protectable, then an employer can take steps through litigation, temporary restraining orders, uh, cease and desist letters, things like that to to stop that behavior. Uh, but you know sometimes um, that information that the company thinks that former employee is using doesn't rise to even that level of definition of trade secret. So it may be that you know they can't stop that behavior. Uh, but, you know, we have to look at each of these situations on a case-by-case basis. So just because a, a sales representative for your business has left and gone to the competition doesn't necessarily mean there's anything that you can do about it. That's true. There's sometimes you can't do anything about it, uh, it just, and it does depend on, you know, what that particular employee is doing uh, when they've left. California, uh, as, as a matter of law, um, allows employees and people in general uh, a lot of latitude to pursue their profession, to be mobile, to go to the next place to work. Mm -hmm. And so things in California or efforts employers make in California to restrict an individual's ability to, you know, uh, proceed with pursuing their livelihood uh, is often frowned upon by the court. So that puts a higher burden on the company to establish that, indeed, what this person is doing with that next business they're working for uh, is actually uh, using trade secret information, confidential business information that I have the right to protect. Uh, And many times you can, uh, but uh, you have to do that understanding that there's a lot of latitude for individuals to leave and pursue their livelihood elsewhere. So if you're the small business owner and you're wanting to set up a situation so that you're protecting your own personal trade secrets or your own personal business practices. Do you set this up in the employee handbook or is this something that you have to do in addition to? We will often put in the employee handbook a trade secret and confidential business information policy that communicates to employees that we do expect them to treat trade secret information confidentially and to not take that information or use it inappropriately even while they're still working uh, with us. So that is one step to take. Mm-hmm. But there are additional steps that companies should take if they do want to treat certain types of information as confidential. They need to be careful about uh, protecting that information uh, before that employee leaves. And so, for example, if you have uh, a customer list or sales information uh, and you want to treat that information as confidential business uh, uh, information, then you might want to like put a stamp on it that says confidential or, you know, th- today we don't necessarily have to use a physical stamp, but something on that document that reminds people day in and day out, 365 days a year, that you consider that particular document or that report to be confidential business information, limit you know whether they can even leave the business with that information on their laptop, for example. So putting, um, I guess, protections in place um, day in and day out uh, can help you later on if you want to contend that that particular person took that information from you and is using it inappropriately. 
why is the what is the reason for you to get into employer law? I was a little bit of an older student going into law school in oh. that between undergraduate and law school, I worked in the trucking industry for five or six years. Uh, and in the trucking industry, I uh, was a manager. So I managed, uh, I was a, a dock foreman, line hall dispatcher, um, was managing uh, employees, mostly Teamster uh, workers mm. uh, uh, at the different break bulks that I worked at. Um, and so that experience, I think, as a manager and dealing with employee issues uh, sort of led me to, to, in that direction to some extent. Um, also, in undergraduate, I uh, majored in economics and management. Wow. And so back then, management uh, as a major consisted of uh, what they called then personnel classes. Now it's human resources. <laughs> um, and so I took several of, of those uh, in undergraduate as well. So I think I just had a little background that led me toward uh, working in the human resources employment law arena um, and was able to, again, take a few extra classes in that area uh, in law school. And because of your work as a manager for a trucking company, is that also one of the reasons why you focused also on uh, union negotiation and union contracts? Yes, I think that background you know, has assisted me uh, in... Uh, that area of my practice as well, mm-hmm. uh, in understanding from a practical standpoint what it means to be a manager and to uh, work in a union environment. And how to set up a non-union shop and how to keep it that way? Yes, I do advise employers on on those issues. And uh, if an employer is faced with a union organizing drive, then I can assist them in uh, trying to stay uh, non-union. And, and what prompted you to go in that direction and, and pursue that? For most employers, uh, I mean, I, I, I do work with uh, companies who are union, mm-hmm. uh, and so I assist them, whether it's with collective bargaining or with uh, labor arbitrations and grievances and things like that. Uh, and oftentimes, you know, those companies will have a, a very good relationship, you know, with their union. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's challenges that arise, like with any business, but... Uh, sometimes that relationship is, is very good. Um, but for most employers, I think if they have a preference, they're going to stay non-union. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so anything that I can do to, you know, within the bounds of the law to assist them with that, pro- that uh, process and to stay non-union and to really keep t- for themselves the, the ability to manage their business in a, a professional way without the uh, interference or you know, having to deal with a third-party union uh, is attractive to employers. And if you'd like to reach Dan, you can find him at LeBothielen at LeBothielen.com or at 5001 East Commerce Center Drive, Suite 300, Bakersfield, California, or at uh, on their phone number at 661-325-8962. That's 661-325-8962. And as we wrap it up here, Dan, what would be something that uh, you would encourage Visionary Nation to know that they could use today to grow a strong and profitable business? I've always had the view that... Um, whether you're a large employer or a small employer, even down to the one employee uh, business uh, or, you know, one to ten, you know, uh, whatever we might define as a, a small employer, um, I still think the employee handbook is, is uh, an important um, piece of the equation. It's important because it not only communicates the policies that I already talked about to employees, 
but it also sort of forces the business owner to think through those issues. Going through the process of creating the employee handbook is very educational you know, for the employer to even realize, oh, I didn't know that was an issue. I didn't know that these are things that I should be concerned about. Oh, it is good to communicate that to uh, the employee. This is a nice, you know, standards of conduct, you know, policy to include in the employee handbook. So uh, it's just a, a good process for businesses to go through to educate themselves and to almost go through a self-audit, you know, of their HR practices uh, by going through the, um, the, the process of creating that, that handbook. Dan, this has been very informative. You've given a lot of great information, and we want to thank you for sharing with Visioneer Nation your wisdom and your knowledge, and we thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. I've been asked, who is a Visioneer? A Visioneer is a small business owner who's a pioneer that has vision. A Visioneer is someone willing to see the world, not as it is, but as it could be, and is willing to do something about it. A visioneer is ethical, smarter, faster, and leaner than the mainstream competition. A visioneer gives value first because visioneers are in business for the long haul. Visioneers understand the difference between saving money and earning a profit. Visioneers define their destiny. Visioneers create their own luck. Visioneers surround themselves with successful, like-minded people. Visioneers are renegades who defy the mainstream competition and are ready to change the world. Are you a visioneer? Become a visioneer by joining the Tribe on Small Business Celebrations Facebook page and on Instagram today. Thank you for listening to the Small Business Celebration Podcast. Some of today's music was brought to you by Ted Hammond, and you may find more of Ted's music at ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. And that's ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. Also, if you enjoyed this episode and gained some insight from it for your business, subscribe to this podcast at iTunes.com forward slash Small Business Celebration and give us a five-star review. If there is a business you'd like us to interview, reach out to us on Facebook and let us know. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Roberts of the Small Business Celebration Podcast, and we wish you a strong and profitable business.